Welcome to the Magnificat Podcast. We are an international ministry to Catholic women. Throughout this series, we will pray together, share insights, and hear amazing testimonies, typically from women of faith who have been touched by the power of the Lord in their lives. This is a decidedly Catholic podcast, and in this series, you will hopefully learn more about the Catholic faith, God, the Blessed Mother, and much more. Thanks so much for joining us. Now let's listen to a great program. Looking for him. Welcome to Magnificat Proclaims, presented to you by Magnificat, a ministry to Catholic women. I'm Donna Ross, your host for today's program. We pray that today may be a special day in your life as you experience through the personal testimony of our featured guest, the presence of Jesus Christ among us. I'd like to introduce Sharon Lee, a former Miss San Diego County and runner-up to Miss California, She left show business at the height of her success to pursue a higher purpose. Believing that she had found the true way to serve God through channeled spirits and the New Age Bible, known as A Course in Miracles, she had intended to teach a new and more enlightened way to be loving with these popular anything-goes philosophies. But by 1999, disillusioned with the devastation these teachings so often produced, she realized they were deceptive. Sharon's diligent search for truth began to lead her home, and when tragedy struck her family in the year 2000, her conversion was complete. Sharon saw clearly the true teachings of the Bible playing out amid the tragic events surrounding her. With courageous honesty, she reveals how her New Age influence may have unwittingly played a part in her family's tragedy and how God's saving word brought her out of spiritual darkness and into the light of truth. Now let's listen to Sharon Lee share her inspiring journey of how to do love. 
I am very happy to be here today. I am so grateful to share with you my presentation today called How to Do Love because it's intended to be a helpful and hopeful message of repentance and triumph over tragedy. It is the story of all that I learned about God's authentic love as I experienced the nightmare of the mental and emotional collapse of my brother whom I love dearly. And while you'll hear that these were lessons painfully learned from the tragic loss of life, that was the result of that terrible collapse, you'll also hear the good news that miraculously came from that painful experience. You see, my hope is that my message can help to prevent other families from ever having to endure the same kind of heartache. What a healing and transformative thing love is. But I learned the hard way. In order for it to work, it's got to be the real thing. My story begins with a night two and a half years ago, just two days after Christmas, a night that would forever change everything. On December 27th of the year 2000, my brother, he was seen coming out of the bushes with an empty baby stroller and a shovel. And the inevitable phone call came. The baby was dead. My brother was arrested for the alleged murder of his own infant son, and nothing would ever be the same again. My sister called early in the morning, and she said, Cher, you've got to get over to Mom and Dad's right away. And I will never forget those first few moments with my parents. There is no way to describe how much it hurts to see your mom and dad in so much pain. I rushed into their arms, and we just clung to each other. Through his tears, my dad just kept saying the same four words over and over again. He kept saying the worst possible thing. He kept crying the worst possible thing. And all my mom could do was just sob. Her heart was broken, not only for her son and her little baby grandson, but also for the little baby's mother. Being a mother herself, she was feeling the pain doubly. So I tried desperately to rescue them from this crushing grief. I said to my dad, you tried. We all know how much you tried. My dad said he just wouldn't listen. He just wouldn't listen. So I said to my mom, you prayed, mom. We all know how much you prayed. Even though at that time I didn't even believe in it at, this, at that time, I knew she did. So I just said, we know you prayed. And my mom cried. My prayers weren't answered this time, not this time. News of this terrible tragedy was covered widely in the media. The headlines blared, baby found in shallow grave, four-month-old suffocated, father held as suspect, and it appeared to most to be an act of revenge fueled by the loss of custody of his son. But appearances can be deceiving. We acknowledge that he was harboring horrible feelings of rage, no doubt, but there was, as you might expect, much, much more to it than that. It came up in court, for example, that my brother had been overheard saying in his pain and his anguish, we know he wasn't in his right mind when he committed this horrible crime. He was overheard to say that if my baby can't be with me, if we can't be together and be a family with his mother, then I wish I could just give my baby back to God and then he'd be with Jesus and he wouldn't have to live in this horrible world. I wish I could just give him back to God. So apparently, in, in the loss of his mind, conditions that would only aggravate the moral and spiritual disintegration that was already going on within him after living recklessly for a very long time. There had been two decades, in fact, of severe alcohol and drug abuse with crystal meth, one of the most dangerous drugs, which most certainly wrecked his mind, his body, and his judgment, and eventually his very soul. 
The reason I tell you all of this is because it was those years of suffering and struggle leading up to this tragedy that flashed before my mind when I stood there with the phone in my hand hearing the news of what my dad most accurately called the worst possible thing. I didn't know it at the time, but I was about to receive a great gift that would miraculously come out of this tragedy because in that moment of acknowledging those years for what they truly were, I began to experience an authentic Christian conversion. I could suddenly see that all those years of my brother's anguish, the jail sentences, the lawlessness, the violence, the endless cycle of depression, those years I now knew, those years had been the window of opportunity where I could have reached out more to help him get the help he needed possibly if I had reached out to help him. And sadly, I have to report that I did not, and today you're gonna hear why. And I know that in this fallen world, results are never guaranteed, but I'm talking about just making the effort, and that I did not do. You see, I knew in that moment that the New Age ideas that I had been embracing at the time had crippled my ability and my desire to help him. And during those very crucial years for him and my family, my New Age influence had actually negatively affected history. I had unknowingly played a part in the ultimate loss of two lives. A small part, a big part. I know some of you may think it didn't really play that much of a part at all. Well, I don't think so, and only God knows. But I knew two things for certain. When I got that horrible call telling me that my baby nephew was dead and that most likely I would never see my brother again in the outside world, I knew that most of what I had been taught in the New Age was a lie and everything that I had just started reading about in my Bible was true. I realized that we must never underestimate how much we do influence one another with what we believe and what we live. And if what we're believing is a lie, it can be deadly. You see, this is what happened. During the last few years of my brother's struggle, several loved ones who were very close to my brother would call me and ask me for help in helping him. Their concern had grown into anxious worry and finally into fear, and they wanted to know what to do. And so during those years, I would constantly counsel them as to how we should respond to the very dangerous behavior that they were describing to me. But as I just said, all of my advice was based on this new age spirituality and secular philosophy that I was so heavily involved in at the time. So you're going to hear just how detrimental my answers and my directives were and how utterly useless. It would go usually something like this. They would say, we've got to do something. What, what do you think we should do? And I would start with the faulty premise from these philosophies that were definitely not Christian, that there was no such thing as good or bad, right or wrong. There's only that which you personally find desirable and that which you don't. Also, sin and guilt are not real. They were either illusions, effects of our own mental projections, or at the very least, they were just inventions of the human mind, ideas created by men that were just used to, to control other men. So through all of his years of lawlessness and 
not just his, but my other younger brother as well, another sibling who was almost lost to the same downward spiral of apathy, afflictions, depression, and law-breaking. Through all of those years of destructive habits getting worse and worse, I was advising those closest to him that if we really loved them, then we were not to make either one of them feel guilty or that he was doing anything wrong. In fact, we were not to focus on their dire situation at all because as I was taught in the new age that we all create our own reality with our own thoughts, that we attract more of whatever we're focused upon, then according to that theory, to face this ugly reality would then only just make the situation worse. How often had my New Age teachers said the following? They'd love to say, people often ask us, teacher, shouldn't I face reality? And we say to them, no, never face reality unless it pleases you in every way. Oh, it gets worse. <laughs> Next, I would advise that we were never to try to defer him from the wrongdoing that he was supposedly committing. No, I would say, his free will had to be honored at all costs. You see, in the New Age circles I traveled in, and I love that metaphor because being in the New Age really does just keep you going in circles. In so much of that New Age world, free will is elevated to such a degree that if you truly loved someone, you loved them best by honoring their free will, no matter how dangerous their choices may be. And anyway, I counseled, as I was taught through A Course in Miracles, a very popular New Age course, that as extensions of God, our will was God's will. And, and this can be very confusing because in my mind, then that cleaned up any issues of right and wrong that may have been being done because if he willed to do what he was doing, then surely it was God's will. And the addiction problems? Well, I enlightened my concerned loved ones that in true spiritual reality, all drugs and chemicals were harmless. We didn't really live in bodies anyway. That was just an illusion. In fact, and this is a quote from A Course in Miracles, in fact, I would reassure them, we are in danger nowhere in the universe. So if we really loved them, we were not to make them feel as though they were in any kind of danger because that would only hold the illusion in place. And besides, from another channeled spirit, I was taught that those suffering from addictions, in a way, were our greatest teachers and our heroes because all they were seeking with their drugs and alcohol was that feeling of freedom. So surely that was what was most precious to be strived after was our precious freedom. Okay, now right here, I just want to clarify for you more fully some of the faulty premises that are at the root of these ideas so that you'll understand better why I was advising what I was and why I seem to be condoning what should never be condoned and how I got deceived by all of it. And I feel it's important to share this information with you because these ideas are becoming so popular in our mainstream society today. And believe me, it's a lot easier than you think to be deceived by these false teachings. Why? Because on the surface, with the right argument, they can sound so loving. If there's no absolute truth or definitive moral right and wrong, then I don't have to scold you or warn you or indoctrinate you, which they hate, or God forbid, restrain you, which they really, really hate. So see how loving I'm being? But that's not real love. That's just permissiveness masquerading as love. And these ideas can seem to offer so much relief for suffering. And Christians are spiritual seekers who don't know the word very well, so they don't have it to compare it to. 
Well, they can be especially vulnerable to these ideas because we're all about love and, and wanting to relieve suffering. It had been so painful to watch my loved ones so tortured and just self-destructing before my very eyes. So you can imagine how relieved I was to hear, for example, in the New Age that we've all lived a thousand lifetimes before and we're going to live a thousand more. So don't worry, his one wrecked life right now isn't such a heartbreak because he'll have a thousand more lifetimes to get it right. And since there's no such thing as sin or hell, no matter what he's doing right now, all of these experiences on this long journey will only eventually lead him to God and nowhere else. So there's really nothing so much to worry about. So anytime someone would express concern for my brother and want to do something, instead of advocating intervention or getting him the help he needed, I would share with them what my New Age teachers had taught me, that we didn't really need to interfere. The world doesn't need saving, they love to say. Don't worry, you can't get it wrong and you never get it done. And no matter what it looks like, no matter how bad it looks, eventually, and this is quoting A Course in Miracles, eventually a happy ending to all things is sure. You see, the advice I was giving wasn't helpful or conducive to change. It was sedating and wonderfully pain-numbing. But it wasn't true or helpful. But I thought it was because I believed A Course in Miracles when they said to me, and I'm quoting, when you see someone that is sick or sinning or suffering or being evil in some way, all you are really seeing is an illusion. It's a reflection of what's going on inside of you that needs healing. It's what you're projecting. You're seeing an illusion, which they call projection, and to truly heal the situation, you must accept the, their truth. You must accept this truth that sin and sickness and evil are not real. The fall never happened, they said. Do that, they said. Withdraw your investment in the situation, and that mirage of suffering will disappear. And that, they said, would be the miracle. That's why it's called A Course in Miracles. So every time those closest to me looked like they were in trouble, that idea kept me looking the other way. Helpful? No. But so soothing in the moment when you're in so much pain. What a relief to hear that no matter what it looks like, it's all good. Because that's all there is, is love, they would say. That's all that's real. Everything else is an illusion. So everything was just fine, just as it was and always would be. It's all good. Have you heard that one lately? That idea has become so popular, you can't go to the mall without seeing someone wearing that t-shirt that says it's all good. Well, can I just say something very profound right here? It is not. It is not all good. Where were you on September 11th? It was intended to be all good. In the beginning, God looked around at all that he had created, and he said that it was all good, yes. But our Bible and our Catholic catechism state, and all you have to do is look around and see that the truth is the original order of God's creation has been disturbed by sin. How it gets good now is to be saved by Jesus, yes. And 
Part of that is acknowledging that it's not all good. It's letting God tell you what is good, and by letting him help you to start recognizing and stop doing that which he says is not good for us. Yes, our holy scriptures say that all things happen for good to those whom love God and are called according to his purpose. But if you do love God and you are called according to his purpose, then you're living according to his program, trying to learn his limits and his commands, trying to live within his boundaries. And in that context, then yes, you could say even about your trials and tribulations that the discomfort that you feel as you go through them in a godly way is actually good because in that case, we're talking about the pain of discipline, not the pain of regret which comes from sin. But remember, I didn't know any of that at the time. That's right, that was me at the mall wearing the t-shirt that says it's all good. And I used to teach that how you let in all that good was by not looking at what you don't want to let in so that you wouldn't attract it. So this was the advice that I was giving right when my brother needed to be let in, not ignored. But no, I was too busy being uplifted by these spiritual ideas. They took away my pain. And I don't think I realized the very serious side effects of these spiritual uppers as they produced within me some very corrupt attitudes of self-centeredness and a kind of callous aversion to the suffering of others when I had started out only wanting to help and to love. It's the worst kind of bait and switch. They hold out the promise with these concepts that if you use these principles, you're going to be so good and loving and helpful, and you wind up being anything but. You want to know something funny that is actually not. (laughs) Right when all of this was going on and I was so completely immersed in and spreading these useless and false New Age teachings, one of my little nephews was just learning how to talk and he couldn't say my name. So every time he tried to say Aunt Sharon, it would come out Aunt Deadend. So that's who I was for a whole year was Aunt Deadend. You know, out of the mouths of babes. Because that is what sparked my Christian conversion when I suddenly realized that with my New Age ideology, all I had wound up being for my brother when he needed my help the most was just another dead end. What would I do differently if I could go back in time? I would counsel, as St. Paul did, that yes, we have freedom, but not all that we are free to do is good for us. I would have warned, instructed. I would have helped my parents to discipline and correct. I would have had some family meetings so that we could plan a loving intervention. But I wasn't listening to St. Paul. I was listening to these channeled spirits, one who called himself Abraham, and another who claimed to be Jesus, who wrote that Course in Miracles. And you see, I didn't know it then, but of course I know now that our faith has taught for centuries that we are not to seek counsel and guidance from spirits that are channeled through a medium or a seance, because I do know now that it's just not true that there's no evil and that there's only good in the spiritual realm. There is also evil in that realm, very real forces of darkness that disguise themselves as the light which is precisely why it is so dangerous, just as the Bible warns us, and why our church has always cautioned us away from that. But I didn't realize that at the time, so I was devoutly listening to them, and they taught me, and now I'm quoting from A Course in Miracles, you are not to correct your brother, 
Never teach him that he has hurt you or hurt himself or hurt anyone, because if you do, you are only reinforcing in his mind and in your own the false idea that sin and guilt are real. So with that idea gone was the loving correction and guidance which could have possibly saved two lives. And besides, the, my other spirit being teachers used to tell me all the time, words don't teach, only life experience teaches. I guess no need for wise counsel or instructing, only life experience teaches. Well, I look back and I ask myself, which one of you wants to allow your child to freely wander into traffic so that when he gets mowed over by a truck, painful life experience alone can teach him that you ought to look both ways before stepping off the curb? Or who would want to allow their child to just blindly play with a hot iron so that painful life experience alone can teach him that you ought not to play with things that are dangerous? No loving father would use that approach. Sure, you can learn a lot from the school of hard knocks, but you're not supposed to deliberately enroll there. (laughs) A loving parent teaches through consequences, yes, but not without instruction and warning first. And yet, In the New Age and secular culture, they have it so backwards that I often heard so often this false idea that the world was our schoolhouse, where we're supposed to use our freedom to learn all on our own through unrestricted experimenting what was good or bad for us to create for ourselves according to our own standards of good and bad. And now you know what I think? That is just that same old disguised rebelling against having any authority over you who is sovereign and wise, teaching you and disciplining you. We didn't want to be subservient to any of that. So instead of teaching the truth that how we grow best is by we grow into we grow into God's image by letting his word teach us how to develop virtues and correct vices. Instead of teaching that, they substitute this idea of personal growth through complete independence of any authority, as if that is the most worthwhile way to grow. After the tragedy that my family went through, I can't tell you how many of my New Age friends would rush in to reassure me that it was still all good because my brother had to have that experience for his growth. Oh, and the baby volunteered to participate in that experience for their growth. Really, I would say, and when was that agreement made? Well, in one of their previous lifetimes together, of course. So I would say, uh uh-huh, had to experience, no, had to do the worst possible thing for their growth. Well, I look back and I ask myself, is that how you get your garden to grow? Do you stampede through your garden and trample through your flower bed because your flowers need that experience for their growth? <laughs> but that, that is not how you get flowers to go, grow, and it's not right for human life either. We don't grow best by trampling on each other or by being trampled on. <sighs> A loving father helps you to learn how to avoid hurting yourself and others. And now I know, I do understand that in this fallen world, sometimes you have to let somebody hit rock bottom before they'll learn or grow up. I know that. But that is supposed to be a last resort, not the golden rule. 
It's not the best way, and it was never God's intended way. That wasn't God who slithered up to Eve and said, Here, eat this rotten fruit, go through hell, and then you'll be wise like God. We all know who that was. You see, we learn from that story that what God intended and what would have been wise would be to listen to God's words and obey and don't do what He tells you not to do. That's how you learn to avoid a lot of the suffering that comes from sin, which is masquerading these days as personal growth. But you see, I would never read the Bible or go to church to hear God's words because they had drilled it into my head that words don't teach. And, and you know, I think I started to suspect who might, behi- who might be behind all of these deadly lies when I finally did crack open my Bible and read in John, and actually all throughout, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it's when we listen and obey His Word that all goes well with us. And if that's true, and it is, then who do you think would just love it if he could somehow convince us that words don't teach? Here, have another apple. But you see, in my ignorance of all of that, I wasn't preaching anything out of God's word. I was preaching something totally different, this kind of magic of creative visualization. If you really want to love them, I would advise anyone who expressed concern and wanted to help my brother, I would say then we shouldn't be focused, as I said earlier, we shouldn't be focusing on their situation at all because the more you look at and focus and worry about some situation, you're only attracting more of it. We were to visualize instead about everything the way we want it to be, and then we could attract it with our thoughts alone. And you know... I do know that this sounds, it's, it, it does get confusing because I know it sounds close to our Christian understanding of some principles like, for example, um, God's law of reaping and sowing. We know we reap what we sow. It is written in scripture things like it's, it's done unto you as you believe and as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he or Our words are containers for power. But you see, this idea of co-creating with God, that must be put under the headship of God. The creative power of God is very powerful not to be played around with or grasped at by us to use for our own advantage. It's supposed to be dependent on God, by the way, since we humans half the time don't even know what really would be best for us to create or not. That's why Jesus taught, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Just do that and all these other things will be added unto you. And it's... It's why it's written in scripture, delight yourself unto the Lord and he will give you the very desires of your heart. And we do well to understand that that word delight there doesn't just mean enjoy. In the ancient language, it also meant to be molded or shaped by. So the true Christian understanding is that we are to allow ourselves to be molded and shaped by God. And then we do receive the very, the very desires of our heart. You see, in the New Age, we got a little off track when we would argue that, you know, well, even the Bible says that we're to be like God, and, and God sees those things that are not yet as though they are. Yes, but you're not supposed to use this practice of creative visualization, even if you're trying to be biblical about it, as some kind of spiritual 
vending machine that's just supposed to deliver without us cooperating by doing what righteously needs to be done in any situation. Yes, it's good to have a positive vision, but there's a whole lot more that we ought to be doing. I learned the hard way that trying to apply this kind of mind over matter concept, no matter how scientific, while neglecting the entire gospel message of Jesus Christ, we learned that that can get you way out of balance in some very dangerous ways because my story shows you can become neglectful. But I didn't know any of that at the time, so I just continued to counsel that the only thing that we were obligated to do was just conjure up this image and attract it like a magnet. And I remember saying that to my sister when she came to me for help with my younger brother, because by this time he had spiraled so far out of control, he was homeless, he looked like he was under 100 pounds, and my sister said, Sharon, we've got to reach him somehow, we've got to help him. And I said, oh no, don't even look in his direction. And she said, Sharon, he has no shoes. Our brother has no shoes. So I would say to her, well, why don't you try daydreaming a little more about how you'd like it to be? You see, the solution I was being taught in the New Age in a thousand ways was to deny the reality, the truth that was right before me and simply conjure up this image of them all being happy, healthy, and whole while doing nothing. That's right. According to one of the most popular lessons of A Course in Miracles, their version of the truth, and I'm reading, in all matters of concern, I need do nothing. Paul says in scripture, after doing all that the crisis demands, then you are to rest in the peace and security of God. And so the authentic Christian teaching is very different from this fantasy idea that I need do nothing. And you know what is so infuriating is that back when I was doing all of this negative influencing and the harmful ignoring, the insidious thing is that I thought I was loving. I thought I was learning how to love in the new age, but it was all wrong. Now that I had the Bible to compare it to, I could see that the New Age way was completely opposite of what God prescribes on almost every page. They had everything backwards. I should have known who I was dealing with, these channeled beings that I thought were the light, when their spiritual course said, by the time you're finished with our lessons, mighty companions will walk beside you, and their names are legion. If I had been reading my Bible back then, I would have known the Bible story where Jesus himself casts demons out of this poor soul, and before he does, he asks them, what is your name? And they say, our name is Legion. Now, I have to segue here a minute and say that this is not to be confused with the very good and godly group known as the Legion of Mary. <laughs> I didn't want that to be confusing, but I left it in there because it brings up a very good point. The Bible says we are to judge a teaching by its fruit, not the tree. Don't go by the tree because going back, going all the way back to that first tree in the Garden of Eden, a lot of the trees out there look good. So we don't go by the tree, we go by the fruit. And sadly, in my case, you can see what rotten fruit came from such backward teaching. I couldn't help wondering how different our story would have been if we had followed God's way instead. The New Age had said, don't look at anything negative, don't correct your brother, you don't need to do anything, and you get a thousand lifetimes to get it right anyway, so don't worry. But the Bible says again and again, look after one another, teach, warn, admonish, and reprove. Gently correct him and show him his wrongdoing. Help him to understand that you don't have a thousand lifetimes to get it right. My sister heard me saying to my brother in my new age days, after he had just been released from jail for a very serious offense, 
Right when he needed correction and guidance the most, she heard me saying to him that he shouldn't have even had to listen to the authorities because they had no right to impose on him their standards of right and wrong since there was no definitive moral right and wrong. And she said, Sharon, what are you doing? He could take that lead that you're giving him and run with it and someone could possibly get very badly hurt. If I only knew how badly. You see, now I know the Bible had been teaching all along how to stay safe through the very real need for temperance, while almost everything that the New Age taught practically deified our glorious freedom. But everything they said to do, or everything they said was okay to do in regards to my brother's situation, were the very things that took away his freedom forever. What happened to the Course in Miracles promise that sin is not real and has no consequence? The real truth was a very real list of problematic behavior that God calls sin, including the neglect that I had instigated, had resulted in a prison sentence and loss of life, and nobody could undo that. Finally, like the character in that movie, 28 Days, I looked back on that whole New Age way of life, and I said, this is no way to live. This is a way to die. Judging a teaching by its fruit means look at the results of the teaching. For me, a harvest of sorrows is what I reaped during my time in the New Age, but for you, hopefully, a timely warning. The Bible says the evil one comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And I have to admit, unfortunately, it was a job very well done because just look at the fruits of his harvest. My brother stolen from me along with his freedom, a poor innocent baby killed, and life after life, our hopes and our dreams and all of our plans destroyed, all destroyed. Mission accomplished. Well, not quite, because thank God, our faith tells us where sin abounds, God's grace abounds all the more. And I can witness to that, because like I said, out of the ashes of this horrific tragedy rose the very great gift of my Christian conversion. So take that, devil. <laughs> yes. You see, I had been riding the fence between which truth was true, the New Age spirituality or authentic Christianity. And when this tragedy struck, I was pushed off that fence, and I came down with both feet firmly planted on the side of Christ. You see, once I realized where I had gone wrong, I then knew where to turn to truly learn how to do love right. Someone once said, Experience, if that's all you're going to go by, is a very hard teacher. The test comes first, the lesson after. That doesn't seem fair. And that was our lesson. We were never meant to learn all on our own. In fact, the exact opposite is true. When it comes to living right and loving, you can't wing it. I'm sorry, but most of us are just not sweet and innocent enough to forest gump our way through life. Only angels can wing it, the saying goes, and we're no angels. We have good intentions, but without guidance from the right authority, too often they're followed by a very faulty approach. We need God's approach, and no one else's will work. To learn how to love authentically, we must seek the highest instruction through the Word of God, through His living Word, His Son Jesus Christ, who is our model for love, and through His holy apostolic church, which he founded for our continued guidance.
students. I thank God now for the teaching magisterium of our Catholic Church. My story demonstrates that we need that guidance. Our love must be guided by God's righteousness and truth, or we can wind up hurting ourselves and the very ones we care about the most. My family's ordeal showed me just how much training we humans need, and that training must come from the divine. It can't just be, follow your heart unless your heart is shaped by God, because the Bible tells us the human heart is deceitful. Who could ever know it? The answers come from beyond us. They come from our Creator who has said, My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. Human lives are precious and they must be handled with care. And for the proper care and maintenance of human life, we must consult the Creator of life. I I once heard of an instruction sheet for a product which read, For instruction, troubleshooting, and repair, contact maker. Now, if that's proper procedure for machinery, it's most certainly in order for mankind. And the way we contact and consult our Creator is through His Word, through Jesus, our model, and through His Church. People often ask me, how did you find your way back to the Bible right in the middle of your New Age mentality? I had reached a point in my New Age development where they tell you that you can make contact with a spirit guide. And I didn't realize this was dangerous to do at the time, so... They teach you to do this exercise where you go into this very deep meditative state and you invite your spirit guide to approach you. Well, given all that I had been studying, I was so excited to find out who my spirit guide might be. You know, I was thinking maybe a beautiful goddess or a really fascinating alien. (laughs) And just to cover all my bases, I asked for the highest wisdom, for the highest truth, for the very essence of love. You know, I, I wanted only the best. So I went into this trance, and sure enough, I did see this figure walking towards me and dressed all in white. And the closer he got, I recognized that it was Jesus of all people. And my eyes shot open, and I know this sounds bad, but you have to remember that I didn't believe in him at the time except as a concept or an energy. So I remember thinking, oh, great, is that all my imagination could come up with is this cliche? You know, it was like, who's next, the Easter Bunny? So uh, so I, I, started, I started out scoffing, but I tell you the truth, by this point, I was tired. I was exhausted by all that I had tried and all that had failed me in the new age. And I had seen so much darkness and just wrecked lives. And I was depressed and I was this close to breaking. And I just said, well, I've tried everything else and he's already here. (laughs) And if, if he thinks he has something that can help me, then I was just gonna give this Jesus a chance. So I closed my eyes again and he was still there. And he just reached out his arms to me and he held me in this wonderful embrace. And he said that he loved me. And he said the most amazing thing. He said, you're doing just fine. I guess I needed some kind of reassurance. And I said, oh right, after all the mistakes I've made and the bad choices, I'm just stupid, stupid. And he said, no, honey, no matter what's coming out of your mouth, and yes, I've seen all the wrong turns that you've taken, but I know your heart. I know what you've been seeking after this whole time. What did you say you wanted just now? And I'm who showed up. He said, I'm what you've been looking for. I am the answer that you've been wanting, and I have what you need. 
and I'm going to be right here for you. And I never felt such love. This Jesus was so different from the so much more than a mindset or a Christ consciousness. And I got to tell you, if you think that that's all Jesus is, you're missing a lot because an attitude is not going to die on a cross for you and cannot love you the way I felt this Jesus loving me. And somehow I knew that on some level this experience was very real. And from that moment on, I was so hungry for anything that I could find out about this really awesome spiritual guide that I had. So, <laughs> boy was I lucky. So I started researching this Jesus, and I suspected that contrary to what they had told me in the New Age, somehow I knew that this Bible truly was an accurate record of his life and his teaching, what he originally taught, that it was God-breathed and written by eyewitnesses. And as I read about all that he said and did, it suddenly became so clear to me how true all of his teachings were, the way he originally taught them. Because now I had seen with my own eyes both ways being lived, and sure enough, the godly way was indeed the better way. Now I know his gospel is where we go to truly learn how to do love, not to the latest secular trend of thought, not to any channeled New Age spirit, and not to any private humanistic interpretation of what God is or truth or love. I have been your witness that the counterfeits are dangerous and they just don't work. All the places where I deviated from the original godliness as it's taught in Holy Scripture and in his church, those deviations were the very walls that blocked my ability and my desire to help or to give or to serve. Deviation from the one true God does produce deviance, and deviance can be deadly. The truth is, to be healthy and happy, we've got to be holy. God's plan is for us to be a holy people. And I found out one of the root meanings of the word holy is careful. God wants us to live carefully, not recklessly. My New Age teachers had always complained. They said, since the day you were born, they've always been telling you, watch out for this, be careful for that. And they had taught me that that attitude of be careful made you weak, powerless, and vulnerable. And then I go and find out that to be holy is to be careful. And the Bible says, without that holiness, I can't enter the presence of God. So there you have it again, that hidden demonic attempt to take me away from God's presence. Of course they didn't like those warnings. They were trying to sell us the lie that we were completely unlimited beings. But that is just not true. As human beings, we do have limits, and the boundaries that God lays out for us are there for our own protection. All life must be handled with care. How do you handle something that's precious to you? Isn't it beautiful? Be careful. What are you doing in your marriage? Isn't it beautiful? Be careful. What are you doing with your children? They're priceless. Be careful. To take care of one another is how we truly love each other. Yes, we've got to be careful because even love, when it is not guided by higher principles, the higher principles of God, even love can be dangerous because too often our false beliefs, our overwhelming feelings, or our desperate human plans to grasp for ourselves what we think we need can compel us to do something in the name of love that isn't truly loving at all. Some of the saddest times for me are when I'm visiting my brother and he talks about coming home. He talks about how happy we're all going to be when he comes home. But my brother can't come home. 
He's serving a life sentence with no possibility of parole. And yet, I think in his mind, somehow he thinks that there's hope that he can come home if he can somehow just convince someone that he had had such good intentions. This world is full of good intentions. We need something higher to teach us how to truly do love. It took tragedy, heartbreak, and death to wake me up to this fact. God's word had taught all along that true love entailed giving, service, and yes, self-sacrifice, putting someone else's rightful needs ahead of your own. These were the earmarks of true love, and they were to be our first priority. But as you've heard today, that's not what I was taught in the New Age. You see, it wasn't just absolute freedom or a world of illusion that they'd been preaching to me. It was also pleasure-seeking to the extreme because, according to their theories, they had told me that only a joyful vibration could take you to God. And I think it was probably that lie that crippled my ability to love the most because lulled into drowsy delirium as they taught me that pursuing my own delight was to be my number one priority. I had wasted years sleepwalking through my brother's endless cycle of depression, addiction, and anguish. I I, I had shielded myself from the pain of it, from the mess of it, and from the maddening inconvenience of it. I didn't want to be anywhere near that suffering, and I certainly wasn't going to sacrifice. I had been taught that to love my brother meant that I needed to look the other way and to do right in his situation meant that I had to remove myself from it. But the moment it was too late, I wished with all my heart that I had been right there in the middle of it, going through it with him. Did you know that the original root meaning of the word suffering is simply to undergo, to go through? Jesus never taught us to escape from this world. He wanted to equip us to go through it together and with him. He prayed, Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but only that you keep them from the evil one. When I wished that I could go back in time and just help my brother through that situation, that was God's love that I was feeling. The very real love that endures pain, is willing to sacrifice, and helps to bear the suffering of others. That, my friends, is not the love of this world, it's God's otherworldly love. The human tendency, unfortunately, is to pull away from pain and suffering, but the Bible tells us that we're called to, and God's love can equip us to, help widows and orphans in their affliction, not after everything's all smoothed over and everyone's feeling better. True love carries burdens. It can withstand the presence of pain and suffering. It must, because that's when love is needed most. Not when everything is pleasant and rosy, but when things get downright ugly. The moment I heard the news that the baby was dead at the hands of my brother, I suddenly realized how desperately he had needed hands-on, drop whatever you're doing, nothing is more important to me or more valuable to me than this, loving intervention. He had needed someone to lay down their life just for a second in an effort to save his. And I had just not been willing to do that. I'd been taught, as I said, that the purpose of my life, the whole reason we're here, they said, was to create a life for myself that was filled with as many personal pleasures and delights as I could. And I had done just that, and then I guarded that creation viciously. And I had done that in the name of love because my New Age teachers had taught me that, the, this is what they said, the best way 
To love others was to make your own self happy, make feeling good the only goal in every situation, and love your own life more than anything. Jesus said there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's in John 15, 13. When are we going to learn? We don't need any new form of Christianity. Jesus got it right the first time. And contrary to what the world will have you believe, we do need him as a savior. We do need to be redeemed. We need God's grace. True love is willing to be uncomfortable for someone else. Finally, I could see how I and so many others had been corrupted by the new age. Their pleasure-seeking philosophies cater to the flesh. You develop that aversion and distaste for suffering or sacrifice or discomfort of any kind, and you are not willing to put anyone else's needs ahead of your own. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having joy or seeking pleasure. God does want you to be happy. I'm just saying that our priorities have to be ordered by God, or you're not going to find the very happiness that you're seeking. Seeking joy, yes, but within God's boundaries. God's program is the only way to properly order your life through His righteousness and His righteous creed and code of conduct, which is so important because your creed determines your deed. You need that solid Christian foundation. You need that truth to be the healthy and holy platform from which you make your choices. Because the choices we make can affect our lives forever. Just ask anyone who's suffering in the aftermath of abortion. Ask anyone who's lived through the pain of divorce or someone who's just lost a loved one to suicide. Just ask my brother. I'm still haunted to this day by a story my parents told me. I didn't know it at the time, but they had told the police that from the time my brother took the baby, there were three days that passed before the police caught up with him. And I think it was on the second night, he suddenly appeared on their doorstep. He had come home one last time to say goodbye, and he was sobbing. And they pleaded with him, just bring the baby back, son, just bring him back. And he said, no, I I can't, I can't bring him back. And my mom said, why? Why can't you just bring him back? And he said, no, you don't understand. I can't bring him back. And in that moment when he said those chilling words, and of course their worst fears were realized, our choices can affect the lives of others forever. And the only thing that gets me through a day or even an hour is the good news of Jesus Christ. We have that hope in Jesus Christ with confession and repentance and God's forgiveness. But what about my other brothers and sisters? If it's one thing this experience has done for me. It's broadened my idea of family. Jesus asked, will you not just stay awake with me and watch for just one hour? Well, that is the beautiful miracle that came out of this tragedy, that my life has this glorious new mission now to safeguard our one true faith and thereby help all of my brothers and sisters to find their way home to God. That is what's at the very heart of Magnificat, Mary's hymn of praise. And I do sing God's praises that he has given me this glorious new mission. It speaks of the new beginning that always comes with God. And so with gratitude, I do keep watch. And when the cynics try and tell me that you can't save everyone, you can't help every person, you can't save the world, then you know what I say to them? I say, look, I'm not crazy, I'm Christian. And 
I don't let the fact that I can't do it all stop me from doing my share. Well, this is my share. This is my hour. And when I spend it leading others to Christ, it is my finest hour. And if I've unlocked the prison door that would let any one of you come home to God, then it has been an hour very well spent. And I thank you so much for letting me spend it with you. Thank you. We truly hope you have enjoyed the program today, and for more information or a copy of the broadcast, please write us at Magnificat Proclaims, P.O. Box 2983, Orange, California, 92859. Once again, that's Magnificat Proclaims at P.O. Box 2983, Orange, California, 92859. You can also call us toll-free at 800-500-4556, that's 800-500-4556, or 714-744-0336. In addition, if you'd like to know more about this beautiful Magnificat ministry, including a location of a chapter maybe in your area, please call us at 504-828-MARY. That's 504-828-6279. Well, on behalf of Magnificat Proclaims, this is Donna Ross, inviting you to join us next time as we present more personal testimonies from our inspirational Catholic speakers. Remember, Magnificat Proclaims the greatness of the Lord. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you in His peace. for listening to this Magnificat podcast. Have you been touched by our time together? If so, for more information or to find a Magnificat chapter near you, go to our website at magnificat-ministry.org or visit us on social media. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us at magnificatcst at aol.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.